Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Monday, July 29th, and we have got BC Interruption on the podcast. We're breaking down Boston College and uh, talking about the upcoming season, what to expect with the Hokies in the opening week, and, uh, and some predictions. So before we get started there, if you're joining us for the first time, we are the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. Tim, what's going on? There's so much. There is literally so much going on. Um, I'm home alone because the wife is on vacation at the beach. Uh, I have done nothing but watch reruns of college football, <laughs> eat ramen, uh, and drink sparkling water. So, man, I'm having a great time. How are you doing? Uh, that sounds great, Tim. That sounds great. I actually, I, I pulled out the old uh, power washer this evening Ooh. and uh, prepping the stairs for a little bit of a nice little restain. So, you know, living my best dad life over here, doing uh, doing what I can. But, you know, Tim, this past weekend we had a uh, what we call a block party here in in uh, in Illinois, up in the Chicago area, and you know, it's something we do twice a year. We do one in the summer. We do one in the fall. And uh, we basically close down the street, you know, people pull out their grills, Okay, their so it, it's not just you and Rebecca in this case, it's... No, it's... no, this is the entire block. Okay, I was like, man, so how bold of you So the 600 block, no. You just walk out <laughs> no. the front door and say, honey, we're, we're cutting off traffic, it's block party yeah. day. Yeah, we're having, <laughs> we're having a block party. Right, go crab the zebra decided. cakes and the Zemo, man, we're gonna, we're gonna throw down. So, so this thing, it gets started about 7am and it runs until midnight, basically. Um, and you come and go, you don't have to be out there the entire day. So, you know, I'm out there at night. I'm one of the last few out there and, you know, we're just sitting around talking and all of a sudden this helicopter just starts circling and it's very low and it circles again. So I'm thinking, you know, we're not too far from the interstate where I live. It's a very dense area where I live. So I'd say probably roughly... I don't know, half to three quarters of a mile away from the interstate. I'm thinking, oh, maybe there's an accident. Well, it circles again and again and again. So I find out there's a uh, there's a mom's group in in the neighborhood for the entire community. And apparently, Tim, uh, there was a uh, carjacking in which there were three uh, armed men on the loose about two blocks away from the block party oh running through alleys. Gosh. Uh, wow. Looking into garages for cars to steal, uh, because they were trying to get away from the car that they failed to steal. So that's see that's my block party. That's my neighborhood. You telling me this story does nothing but reinforce the probably inaccurate stereotype I have in my head, which is Chicago and living in Chicago is like being in you know a character in a Grand Theft Auto video game, but not the player character, like a guy just standing on the sidewalk while mayhem breaks loose. Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, it, to be especially honest. after your uh, freeway story, uh, I have I still have yet to be yelled at on the interstate, and I'm kind of upset about that. Oh, it's a daily occurrence. I, I mean, there's so the the issue is everybody's so on edge here on the interstates because they're all under construction, they're all pretty much gridlocked, and if you try to get an inch on somebody or you know. God forbid, merge onto a uh, incoming lane of traffic when your lane's about to end and get in front of somebody, you know, all hell breaks loose on the interstate. Yeah. And so people people just have this outer worldly experience 
they're not themselves. It's, you know, I don't know. It's a Chicago thing, maybe. You know, the the thing, the biggest misconception, maybe it's a myth, Midwesterners are friendly. <laughs> I have never gotten that vibe up here. Not yeah. one time have I have I felt that Midwesterners are, you know, the big kind of teddy bear friendly people. They're just, they're, they're not. Yeah. Maybe I'm from the South and... You know, the South is much more accommodating. Yeah, there's no question the South, right? That That's a real thing. There's zero doubt yeah. about that. But maybe Chicago just needs to be annexed out of that equation because I maybe it's a Chicago thing, you know? Maybe. 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 But, you know, I work out in the suburbs, and it's not much different out there either. Uh, so maybe I don't know. Probably talking about Minnesota. Hey, ooh, okay. You know, yeah, probably. Minnesota. Yeah. Andy Bitter. You know, he, he seemed fine. Yeah, he seemed great. So, I mean, that just yeah. reinforces that positive stereotype. So, Tim, let's let's talk about some football, man. We're getting close. We are. We're getting close. We're getting to that time of year where, you know, it's hard to kind of decide what you want to listen to and or watch because it's football. You've got Last Chance U on. You've oh. got QB12. You've got the All or Nothing series on Amazon that's featuring your Carolina Panthers this year. Yep. You've got ballers you've got hard knocks that's about to come out then you got some preseason football you got training camps you can watch maybe some nfl live right then you got this podcast first off that you got to squeeze in because we're chowdering grits yeah the podcast for acc and hokies football the there's just so much going on tim i just i just love it no i mean you almost need an auctioneer to come up and start rattling all these things off it's crazy uh don't forget madden uh released on early release uh, about yesterday so okay. kind of when Madden comes out, football season really starts to ramp up, I think, for everyone. Um, yeah, and, and so this is great. Uh, you know, we have all the college football games on. I'm watching LSU in Florida play right now as I'm podcasting, and it's, uh, you know, it's setting the tone really well. And, man, I just I'm at that point. Every year I get to this point where my hype has hit overdrive, and it will not relent until I get that first weekend of college football. And usually it's a Hawaii game. At least that's the way it seemed. You know, it's, it seemed to be Hawaii plays the first game maybe a week before the actual uh, kickoff. But I'll take anything right now, man. I'll take anything. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm watching Canadian football, as we talked about in the last podcast. Just any football will do. So we had our ACC preseason picks come out. And no real surprises, I guess. I mean... Trevor Lawrence, ACC Player of the Year in a landslide. Number two was Travis Etienne, AJ Dillon behind him. Um, I think the big, the big news, the big buzz, Tim, was around the divisional winners. So, shocker, Clemson was almost a unanimous pick, but not quite. Um, finished with 1,209 votes overall, 171 first place votes out of 173. Over in the coastal, Tim. Uh, Virginia was picked by the media. Um, so they are sitting at number one, according to the media, with 82 first round pick or first place picks. Uh, Miami at number two, and then your Virginia Tech Hokies at three. The other thing that surprised me was teams like Duke, North Carolina, and Georgia Tech were actually getting votes in this poll. Yeah. Um, the, which yeah. That's ridiculous. seemed a little bit off to me. It's, it's ridiculous. And they need to start outing these guys. And, and maybe they are listed as to who voted what, but. Man, that, that those have to be the largest homer picks of all time. I mean, Georgia Tech, really? Well, I mean, just Georgia Tech and North Carolina, like, literally have next to no chance to win the Coastal sure. this year. Like, I just, I cannot imagine a world in which that happened. Right. Um, and like Duke as well, and 
maybe even Pitt. It's really it's a it's a three team race. Like maybe Pitt can be in there as a sleeper, but you know is what it is. I think the eighty two votes is what surprised me the most for Virginia. Yeah. Um, I do not think the gap is that big. I still am not sold on Virginia as a uh, contender because they have never been one in football, uh, at least in the last mm, 25 years. Right. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, definitely they are the team that has now got the target on their back, which is a new a new position for them to be in. So uh, we'll see what can happen. Um, you know, we've looked at their schedule a little bit. It's not super difficult, but they do have some uh, some big games in there. And, you know, kind of a similar story for Miami and Virginia Tech. So I think the three schedules are pretty even. Um, and we'll just see what happens in that uh, ACC Coastal that is just a little bit average this year, I'd have to say. Oh, there's no question. The, the Coastal's average. And, you know, when it comes to UVA, part of me wants to say that's from – a little bit of a hype machine with the media. It seems like they're the the darling pick this year is to go ahead and say, you know, with the Coastal being down, UVA having an un-UVA-like year. Uh, you know, maybe Broncos got something going on there. I think they'll be good. I think they'll be, you know, competing, obviously, for the title. But I, I just cannot see them winning. And I'm just kind of shocked that they're honestly the favorites at this point. Yeah, like I said, it's uh, this is the time of year where you're a paper champion. We'll have plenty of time to to prove it on the football field. Uh, I don't think any of us have issue with Clemson, no. um, Florida State at third, NC State picked to finish fourth, and then right behind them is Boston College fifth. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised to see Wake Forest maybe Boston College kind of swap places there uh, for that fifth and sixth spot. But I think. Syracuse, Florida State, NC State could finish 2-3-4 uh, pretty easily, but Syracuse is probably the second-best team of the Atlantic yeah, this year. Yeah, probably. I mean, Syracuse has so many questions, too. They do. Um, you know, as does Florida State, as does NC State. So it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top. But, um, you know, I I just think NC State has as much a chance as Florida State as as Syracuse has as much a chance to swap places. So it's, it's really just no a doubt. toss-up. Um, you know, I, I will say – uh, from an all-around balanced team, it's going to be hard for me to imagine there's a more balanced team than NC State going into next year uh, from a talent standpoint. So we'll see how much that ends up paying off for them. Obviously, the uh, the talent level is not going to be the same at you know as Florida State. Florida State's recruits and those players on that roster are far more talented. Uh, Syracuse, I think, is the least talented of the bunch, but I think Dino Babers does a really good job getting the most out of what he has. Uh, so we'll see how all that plays out, you know, just shake up the dice and roll them on the board. I'm just really excited to get this thing going. Yep. He'll uh, he'll have to shake it without Eric Dungy, too, this year, which I think yeah. is the uh, the X factor for Syracuse. And, so. and see, he, he truly was an amazing quarterback, and especially an amazing quarterback coming out of Syracuse. That guy was a warrior. Um, ran Dino's offense to a T almost. And it, it wouldn't surprise me to see a situation where you run into one of those kind of down years after you have a quarterback like that coming in and, and doing his thing for a long period of time and then leaving. Uh, that's a really hard hump to get over. Um, so we'll see if that uh, new quarterback hangover hits them or not. Uh, so, Tim, we had uh, Patrick Toppin on from BC Interruption, the SB Nation blog covering Boston College, of course. Uh, he is actually a recent grad of Boston College, like super fresh, two months ago. Um, and uh, he joined us to to kind of break down the season, recap last year a little bit, and just talk about some of the themes around the program this year. 
Um, so let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into that, and we'll catch you on the backside. All right, we welcome on Patrick Toppin from the SB Nation blog, BC Interruption. Patrick, thanks for joining the show. Happy to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So why don't you uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, so I'm a, not, not for the uh, job interview question right off the bat, but oh know, yeah, you love that. Um, yeah, I'm Boston College class of 2019, so I just graduated. I grew up a big college football fan. I was actually a Cal fan out here on the West Coast. Um, so, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers, Sean Lynch, Deshaun Jackson. Grew up, you know, watching all those guys, having a great time at Memorial Stadium. Um, went across the country for school. Fell in love with Boston College. Have never really known sustained success on the football field, which is, uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, there's there's some pros and some cons, mostly cons, but it makes the winning all that much sweeter. Um, and yeah, I'm just happy to be here, guys. Happy to talk about some VC football. Awesome. So yeah, you were. Uh, we're gonna talk about a game a little bit later on. Where? How old were you? Do you remember this game we're gonna talk about? Uh, I presume you're talking about the 07 game. Maybe that would be the one. Yeah. The 07, 07 is weird because every BC fan talks about that game, and I have a very different game burned into my head, and it is number two Cal, uh, failing or the quarterback getting sacked, and then time running out as Jeff Jeff Tedford tries to rush the field goal unit onto the field as they lost to a winless Oregon State team. Okay. Oh, so right. I, I remember that. I believe me, it is um ingrained in my brain oh well let me tell you every time i close my eyes i see that game so it's it's just it's burned there i think about it way too often (laughs) um but we'll talk about that in a second but you know let's let's jump into boston college so they've got a little bit of a different look on offensive defense this year they got new coordinators on both sides of the ball entirely revamped defense which you know i'm not gonna say is a good thing because it's just a very young unit but First, let's talk about Mr. Steve Adazio. So, obviously, just a guy being a dude, as he likes to do. He's entering his seventh year as the head coach. Do you think this is the make-or-break year for him? And, uh, you know, what, is, what does he need to do to secure his future if you're in the on-the-hot-seat wagon? Well, Steve Adazio is sort of, it's sort of odd because as a Boston College fan, a lot of the time, I'm told that you should just be happy making a bowl. Um, and Steve Adazio has done that every year, basically with the exception exception of the one abysmal three and nine, no conference wins year. Steve Adazio has made a bowl every single year. He's been a head coach at Boston College, and he's really rebuilt a team that was decimated by coaching ineptitude in the uh, early 2010s. I think the thing with uh, with Steve is, you know, if you look at last season, they started off seven and two. Yeah. And... Boston College ended up having 13 all ACC selections, which when I was, you know, researching this, I was blown away that that the number was that high and, you know, lost their last three games of the season, ended up not playing the bowl because of uh, cancellation due to weather down there in Dallas in the first responders bowl. But I mean, a guy who has never won more than seven games at Boston College to me Last year was the year to take a step forward, and this year it it kind of feels like a year where I'm not sure they're they're a lock for seven wins. How do you feel about that? So last year was def- uh, if there was a year that BC was gonna make some waves, um, 
it was last year, right? You have your veteran defense, one of the best secondaries, one of the most highly touted secondaries, and I'll get to that in a second, um, in the country um, with three NFL players on it. You had sort of the full offensive line coming back. I think five, four or five upperclassmen starters, all five returners. I guess the issue and the issue that a lot of us have with Steve Adazio is you sort of know exactly what we're getting. That's sort of what you get with Steve Adazio. Steve Adazio can squeeze six or seven wins out of nothing, and he can squeeze six or seven wins out of Clemson if he was the head coach there. Um, and so I think that sort of leaves me a little bit optimistic about this year where you have all this turnover, you know, brand-new coordinators, and you lose probably their best recruiter and their best position coach and Anthony Campanelli. So, I mean, I expect six wins. I hope for six wins. My prediction is six and seven at the end of the year with a bull loss. So but you're high on the team. I'm high on the team because I believe that Steve Adazio can – there's a lot going here. So if it's, what you're going to get this year is almost the opposite of what a lot of people expect out of a Boston College team where you have a pretty talented offensive line, which I think is most people expect, but you have great running back in A.J. Dillon, um, Anthony Luck, uh, Coach Pajaki and the new offensive coordinator, and Anthony Brown continues his development. Um, you have a ton of research, returning skill players. And you have a totally new defense that could be really good or could be really bad. And I think that's usually sort of the opposite of what people expect out of a BC team, which is great defense. And then, you know, who knows what you're going to get on offense. Yeah, no question. And I mean, I think I think offensively they're going to be pretty solid this year. But, you know, let's let's talk about the defense first. So, you know, I see a lot of questions, a new defensive coordinator, but a guy who's been with the team as a linebacker coach and Bill Sheridan. You know, a guy who was the defensive coordinator with the Giants and the Bucks in the NFL. You know, it sounds like the defensive philosophy really isn't going to change that much. But, you know, there was a SP Nation story that kind of shows or a chart that shows like breakdown by, uh, you know, returning production. And Boston College ranks, I think, second lowest in the ACC. But they're returning 69% of their offensive production from last season. It's the defense where they're really lacking. And only five guys have actually started a game. Uh, that are that are on that defensive unit today. So in today's college football, you know, offense is king. That's got to be a little bit concerning with the number of players they're replacing. Yeah, by far, at least to me. So I guess there's two areas that really have a lot of turn. The linebacking core remains more or less the same. They lose, only, they lose only Connor Strahan, but I think guys like Max Richardson, John Lamont, um, uh, Isaiah McDuffie are all guys who are going to, step up and play at all ACC levels. What concerns me the most is the turnover on the defensive line, where Boston College has had some real standouts the last couple of years. Um, Wyatt Ray, Zach Allen, uh, Harold Landry a few years ago, that is sort of a consistent, and even sort of the no, not as big name guys uh, like Ray Smith are going to be very, very hard to replace. And I think the question is ultimately who's going to step up. Um, they have a new grad transfer in uh, Richard Jurgen out of Clemson, um, who I think is talented, but we don't really know what we're getting with him. He had previously medically retired. I have high hopes for Tanner Carafa, who's one of the guys, who, one of the few returners on the defensive line who has snaps. Um, it could be really ugly. Yeah, I, th- I think something, too, under uh, Adazio is, you know, not necessarily going to have the highest recruiting class, and I, I think that's unrealistic to expect in Boston College anyways, but... You know, he has been able to find uh, guys that fit for his system and, and guys that he's been able to develop and his coaching staff has been able to develop. A couple of guys I'm watching on the defense is Shida Sila. You know what I'm talking about? Linebacker? 
I actually don't know who you're talking about. So this kid, he was the top-ranked outside linebacker in New Jersey and probably going to fit into that rush linebacker type. He's going to be a true freshman. You know, he's somebody who who sounds like he might be be getting a few looks, but, you know, as you mentioned, linebacker is not really the issue for this defense. It's that defensive line, and actually one of his high school teammates, Isaiah Henderson, uh, is also there. He's a guy who enrolled early. Defensive lineman, 6'5", 290, and as a incoming freshman, that's pretty huge. Um, yeah. And Adazio seems like he's very high on him. So it feels like he's one of the guys who's going to really be competing competing for snaps with the uh, you know departures of Zach Allen and Wyatt Ray. But I don't know. I mean, how, how many freshmen do you think we should expect to see from the uh, Boston College defense this year? Adazio was not afraid to play freshman in the burn red shirts early. Um I would probably anticipate uh, Isaiah Henderson to play. I wouldn't anticipate the, the linebacker um, to should have to play a whole lot of snaps, maybe outside of Ursula, outside of um, special teams, um, just because McDuffie, Richardson, and Lamont are just such a talented group of linebackers that I don't think you bench any of them unless they decide to convert him to a defensive. Yeah, like, remember, you have to remember they play a 4-3. And they're not given a lot of pass rushing duties, um, especially yeah, after yeah. the departure of Don Brown, who was pretty blitz heavy, and they've switched to a more conservative um, sort of rush for. And the other issue with Silla, too, that's going to keep him off the field is going to be his weight. I mean, he's coming in around 215 pounds. So, you know, as a linebacker, that's pretty slight, but he's got the height to, to you know, grow into that frame. And, you know, he's a guy, athletically speaking, that I think is going to be a real uh, problem down the road, but I think it'll be a little early for him this year. I was on the defensive defensive backfield. I think sort of my unpopular hot take sort of beef BC fans is I thought last year's defensive back unit was pretty overrated. Um, okay. Something that only really came from watching you know, every game or whatever you don't really get. And that was that guys like Lucas Dennis or who, oh, Will Harris were guys who would play 98% of the snaps extremely well, and that 2% that they messed up on were... Game killers. Game killers, yeah. Long, long completions, third down, like third and 14 completions to the sideline with a minute and 13 remaining. Going for big hits when you just need to wrap up and stop the first down. We saw that against the Purdue game, and that pretty much knocked them out of it really early was Will Harris kept going for big hits to try to knock the ball loose from Rondale Moore and he just bounced off him and more would go for like 60 yards of reception. It was disgusting. And so I think that is not as big a loss as everyone proclaims. I think it will be worse on average, but I have to hope that it will have less mental lapses. I think the loss of Anthony Campanelli, who was their uh, DB coach, who really sort of coached up all those guys is a much bigger loss uh, when it comes to it. Brandon Sebastian and Mike Palmer are going to be the stars on the uh, defensive backfield, both because they have the playing experience and because they're just really good. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think the issue in the secondary this year is there's only one guy who is the returning starter, and that's Brandon Sebastian. And, you know, you mentioned Mike Palmer. I think he'll be okay there at the other safety position. But, you know, Will Harris was a guy, you know, big player or not, he still went third round to the Lions. And, you know, I think, you know, it's college. So you're going to see those blown coverages or those missed tackles. And, you know, it's going to happen from time to time. I, I'll tell you from experience from last year watching the uh, Virginia Tech secondary that was basically depleted from either 
you know, guys getting kicked off the team or injuries before the season even started. Freshman in the secondary is a tough, tough thing to have to get used to. And I think that's probably going to be the Achilles heel of this Boston College team. Yeah, that's a tough one to uh, cope with. I think, you know, speaking from experience and, uh, you know, what we just went through, it's kind of fresh on our mind. But that's that's a tough place to to try to bring in a freshman is in that yeah. defensive secondary, especially with what teams try to do from a scheme perspective nowadays. There's a lot more going on in those coverages. And, um, you know, it just seems like, man, those guys going up and, and trying to make plays on the edge as freshmen, it just it doesn't turn out in their favor a whole lot. And I agree, Justin. I think that's going to be pretty tough to overcome. Obviously not impossible, but it, it's going to be tough. And I'm going to, you know, echo it and say it's going to be, like I said, throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks, especially with the lack of experience in defensive front. It's going to, I don't think they're going to generate as much pressure as they would like. And that's not going sure. to leave any pressure, any pressure from the secondary. So, yeah. And, and I think that's very similar to what Virginia Tech ran into last year with uh, an inability to create pressure um, like we're used to. And it, that really, really put those corners on an island. And, and that just wasn't helpful for us. Yeah, I think the the secondary and the defensive line are two units that really correlate to each other, maybe more than any other, you know, positional group in the um, in in football, other than offensive line and quarterback. That is, but if you just kind of look at teams historically, teams that struggle on the defensive line have to really rely on their defensive backs to kind of cover up the mistakes, and I think that's going to be the challenge of Boston College this year. You know, offensively, like we talked about, Boston College is a bit stronger and I think is probably going to catch a few teams off guard this year. Uh, just because like you said, you don't historically think of Boston college as a, you know, strong offensive opponent, but you know, the Hokies defense on the flip side are going to have their hands full in week one, because this is a unit who is also as Virginia tech fans and Virginia tech, you know, alums and historians of the program, you know, they don't struggle on defense. And last year was a complete anomaly Came out of nowhere, but like I said, a lot of injuries, a lot of young players in there. They're going to have their hands full with Boston College. So what what do you expect uh, offensively just over the course of the season? And, you know, what are your thoughts on the uh, Mike Bajikon replacing Scott Leffler as the uh, offensive coordinator? Steven, as you said, he's not going to change a whole lot. And I think the thing that Scott Loeffler brought in was that there was a lot more trickery in the Boston College offense. I think they ran like, they ran like one and a half trick plays per game. They ran like three against Clemson. Yeah, we're um, familiar. We he used to yep. be in our backyard. Exactly. Yeah. And it's sort of it's like, all right, like that was painful. Fine. I hope to me ultimately this entire season comes out of whether or not um how Anthony Brown develops. Because I think they have a talented enough offensive line to protect him. Um I think Ben Petrula is gonna be one of the best offensive linemen in the ACC, guys like Elijah Johnson, Alec Lindstrom, um, Little Vrabel. Yeah, you know, I I think uh, Anthony Brown has a chance to be really good this year. And I think maybe what people overlooked last season is he missed a lot of time in the spring and the fall uh, with injury, but did end up starting every game. He obviously got hurt on the first series against Clemson, um, which was disappointing because Boston College was ranked fairly high heading into that game. I can't remember what they were at, but I think that was yeah. coming right off of the Virginia Tech win. But, you know, he still managed 2,100 yards, 20 touchdowns, nine picks. You know, it was a season where they didn't get as much from A.J. Dillon as they kind of expected uh, because he was banged up for quite a while, even though 
Dylan was still one of three guys in the ACC to rush over a thousand yards. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think Brown is a guy who I believe he's a junior this year. Um, I think he he has a chance to take the next step and be maybe a top three quarterback in the ACC. Yeah, he definitely has that chance. And you know, what you got to love about what he did was his ability to limit his mistakes. Um, you know, going 20 and nine interception to touchdown ratio is is really, really good. Uh, now the question is going to be heading into this year, right? Obviously, can he add to that pass yard total? Um, is that going to be a scheme thing where they make it a little easier on him to try and get some more uh, production out of him? You know, I'm not necessarily sure, but if he can bump that completion percentage up a little bit from, you know, the mid fifties up into say around 60, um, with that, uh, kind of game manager, you know, he's not a guy that you would think of as a game manager, but he really does take care of the ball and limit mistakes. And I think that's the key, obviously, if you're going to have success as a quarterback. So I guess two things to me impact Anthony Brown's performance this year. Um, it's how does he can he improve his touch on sort of the seven to 15 yard passes, sort of that middle range right there, not the short screens and not the deep balls. because He seems to have those pretty well down and really is will his receivers let him down? Because last year, right. sort of his leading receiver, Kobe White had one of the highest drop percentages in the country, which is not what you want to see. Yeah, I think uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there. The The wide receivers are the biggest question on this offensive group because I think on the offensive line they're going to be pretty good, even with the departure of Chris Lindstrom, who you know was their first first-round yeah. pick since 2012. But uh, they are returning quite a bit. They've got Alec Lindstrom there at center. they got Ben Petrula. Uh, John Phillips, um, and then kind of a, a rotation expected at the other offensive line positions. But, you know, no Tom Sweeney, not that he was a huge offensive threat, uh, but a guy who was extremely reliable. And Boston College is one of those teams that don't really use their tight end so much in the passing game. They're really more of kind of a, uh, a uh, extension of the offensive line. But I don't know. What are you thinking? Because Kobe, Kobe White was the leading receiver, but he only had like 33 catches last year. I'm not sure that's going to be good enough this year and it just seems like depth wise there's just not a lot they've been cross training a couple of running backs and and travis levy and ben glines and at running back and wide receiver but then they just got you know one junior and cj lewis and then a couple of freshmen so i don't know i'd be i'd be pretty concerned about that group so it's i would actually say it's one of the more promising groups they've returned in a few years in the past they've had some great athletes um the guys who aren't necessarily natural receivers last for a few years sort of the most threatening wide receiver was probably jeff smith and jeff smith was previously a quarterback um for that 2015 team that didn't win a conference game and a superb athlete but clearly not in his element as a receiver i am very high on kobe white i mean i think he's got a great work ethic i think he can really cut down on the drops this year i think elijah robinson remains the uh sort of stretch the field threat. I think the question is whether or not C.J. Lewis can sort of develop into your jump ball threat. He only really had like 124 yards receiving, but he's by far the biggest guy on the uh, in the receiving core. And I think ultimately to me, to me, the question is whether is how can they scheme around Ben Glines? Um, because Glines is a superb athlete, like plays running back, but used primarily in the passing game fast. I think they can work, they can scheme him into a lot more short completions and yard after catches um, than he has previously. And Steve Adazio, for some reason, really seemed like he did not want Glines in the game for some reason. And as a observer, I just really questioned that judgment. And then Travis, obviously, in the running backs, I think will be fine. I mean, A.J. Dillon talked about sort of how he almost 
an interview or something, he talked about how he sort of seemed to take it a little bit for granted um, and how he was sort of taking this year with a bit more of a chip on his shoulder, which is really what I wanted to hear because he talked a big game last year, but really didn't back it up as much as we would have liked. Part of that's on the play calling. Part of that's on him. Yeah. And, you know, he was the guy who who did have a few injuries last year. But I think I think Dylan is a guy who he's he's the catalyst of this offense. You know, if he's moving on all cylinders, you know, it's going to make the the lives of the uh, receivers a lot, a lot easier because the defense is going to have to put so much attention on stopping Dylan. And, you know, they've proven when Dylan's at the top of his game, he he really can't be stopped. You just try to slow him down as best you can from from play to play. So, you know, I think Dylan is going to have a resurgence this year. Um, it's a uh, ACC where Travis Etienne and AJ Dylan are kind of one A and one B. Etienne's probably the number one, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you think we're talking AJ Dylan back in the Heisman discussion this year? Is that your confidence level, or or what are you feeling? Talent wise, I think I agree. I think he's the second most talented running back in the ACC. I think he's the top five most talented running back in college football. I don't think he'd be in the Heisman conversation simply because everyone, this team is, I don't think this team is good enough to succeed when every defense they face is going to be teaming against him and almost just him. Right. Uh, and that's yeah. sort of, I guess it, it all comes down to whether or not Anthony Brown can take that step forward and take some pressure off AJ Dillon because this is ultimately his offense. Sure. Uh, yeah. No doubt. Sure. Yeah. That, that would be completely transformational if Brown was able to be a dynamic enough passer consistent enough passer to uh, alleviate some of that, uh, you know, get that box uncrowded and, and give Dylan some room. And I, I think, you know, Dylan is, I, I love Dylan, you know, his size, he, he's just, man, he's an he's, absolute workhorse. I, I absolutely love the guy. Being for his size, obviously, you know, you see some of these six, five offensive linemen. He's as a sure. six foot tall dude. I urge you to go watch some of the interviews that he's done in right, right is where he's wearing a compression shirt and it looks like he's wearing pads. <laughs> he's he right. the widest shoulders I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. He, he's a bulldozer, but he's not one of those guys that's slow either. I mean, he's, you know, he's got speed to burn a little bit too. And, you know, he's such a unique player and a, a great running back. It'd be nice to see him and the offense turn the corner. Um, you know, obviously that would make uh, games in the division, especially in the Atlantic, a little harder. But uh, yeah, I mean, Brown is definitely the key, I think, even more so than Dylan is, because you know what you're getting with Dylan, um, at least to a certain extent. But with Brown, he could absolutely change his team. And, um, you know, he, he's shown so many flashes um, and his deep balls has looked really good at times. And if he can figure that out, I think Boston College has some serious potential um, as far as next season on offense. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, they're, they don't have the easiest of schedules. No, um, I'd say probably one of the tougher, tougher slates in the ACC this year. And, you know, it's kind of broken out into three, three segments for me. You've got your must wins. So that's Richmond, Kansas on the road at Rutgers on the road at Louisville. I'd be shocked if they lost any of those games. Then they've got their toss up games, which are Wake Forest, NC state and Pitt, And so, all three of those teams have their issues. I think NC State is the most talented of that group. They've just got a lot of questions with um, the defense and or, or with the offense, really, with uh, some of the young guys, you know, who's going to play well, quarterback, things like that. There's that, and NC State going to Chestnut Hill is completely cursed. So, um, yeah. you know, Boston College already has the advantage in that regard. 
And then you got your your tough games that I've classified as tough. You've got Virginia Tech to open the season. You're on the road at Clemson, Syracuse, and Notre Dame. And then you host Florida State, who's a team that has just given Boston College nightmares over the years. So, you know, I think six wins is definitely doable. I'd be surprised if they got much more than that, but... I don't know. What do you what do you think about the schedule and how it's broken out? Like in those toughest games that I just listed, VT, Clemson, Syracuse, Florida State, Notre Dame. What's your comfort level with uh, with those five? So I think it really depends. I think I'd almost separate even those toughest games into sort of two tiers where I say Notre Dame and Clemson are. I don't want to say not winnable, but I but I will pencil those in as absolute losses if you ask me to bet my life on it. Yeah. Um, That's true. I would say that VTech and Florida State are both teams that have enough questions and have sort of seen, sort of like I anticipate that Virginia Tech will take a lot of steps forward this year on defense because they were atrocious last year. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. But they also, it's also the first game of the season and they may not have it all together yet and they may not be. In the same way that Florida State has been underachieving for the last three or four years despite having so much talent. Sure. And I mean, that's a great point you bring up. That first game is always kind of a wild card. doesn't matter who you are. Um, You know, you see teams coming out on the first weekend of college football that look nothing like they are at the end of the season. Uh, You know, good teams look great. uh, Good teams look bad. Bad teams look good. It's it's why the first weekend is so awesome. But um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of question marks around the Hokies. And, uh, you know, certainly... uh, I, I wouldn't put it in the same category as, as Notre Dame or, or Clemson for sure. Um, I sort of presume, I think you look at it and you say, hypothetically, you could be looking anywhere between four and two and five and one going into NC State and sort of the best case scenario. Because it looks, at least to me, is you need to win your games in the first half of the schedule. Because I see between the NC State, Clemson, Syracuse, Florida State, Boston College, Sorry, Florida State and Notre Dame games. I think that's five straight losses from a personal. Yeah, and I mean to be honest, I think that's what's going to do Adazio in is he's historically won all his games in the front half of the season. Yeah, but going into year seven as a guy who hasn't won over seven games, and you know he's been the model of consistency, I guess, but it's been average at best. I think this is the year where they're going to have to beat Syracuse, beat Florida State, you know, maybe beat Virginia Tech. Clemson, Notre Dame, they're not going to win, but they're going to have to go 2-1 and one against Wake Forest and NC State. I think, I think he has to win eight games this year to be comfortable, and maybe that's eight games going into the bowl game. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I think, I think eight, uh, eight wins – including the bowl game, I think would be considered a success based on the way the defense is totally getting revamped this year. Yeah. I mean, um, you, you have you have the defense too, but then eight wins looking at this schedule, if I'm making any sort of decisions, I'm, I'm happy as can be with eight wins. Yeah. Why don't we, uh, why don't we talk about the Virginia Tech Boston college rivalry a little bit? So, you know, we were talking offline, you know, you're from, uh, the San Francisco area, so grew up a Cal fan, I take it. Correct. And, um, you know, we are Hokies, uh, born and bred. Tim's also got some uh, wolf, pack, wolf pack blood in him. But, you know, this it's a pretty young rivalry 
you know, we didn't first meet until 1993, and Virginia Tech owns an 18-9 and overall record, uh, so it dates back to the Big East days. But it was really about 12 years ago when this rivalry really kind of took off because Virginia Tech and BC played four times in two years, including two ACC championship games. But what kicked it off was October 25th, 2007, a game which will live in infamy, Tim. And uh, I, I remember everything extremely vividly. Uh, we were uh, we were sophomores in college, and um, I personally was coming off of the biggest illness I've ever had. I'm pretty sure I had pneumonia. Um, it was either pneumonia or mono. I'm not sure what it was, but I was basically like down for like a month, and yeah, I, I was finally coming out of my sickness. And I was like, I am not missing this football game because we were number eight in the country. Boston College was number two. They were undefeated. Mm -hmm. They had Matt Ryan. He was getting all this Heisman hype. You know, we were coming off of, uh, you know, I I don't remember what our record was at the time, but we only had one loss, which was to LSU. We were going back and forth between Sean Glennon and Tyrod Taylor. 2007, we had probably a top three Hokies defense of all time you know, arguably the best. It was our one of our best defensive teams that I that I can remember. And it was a game, Tim, that was ugly. It was cold. It was raining. And it was a game that Virginia Tech pretty much controlled down yeah. to about the last three minutes and 30 seconds. And uh, then I just kind of black out and forgot about the rest. Yeah, I mean, I should have. I mean, I'll never forget how that last play set up and you could see the trajectory of the pass and the wide receiver in the back of the end zone. And you, it was all in slow motion, but you knew it was going to happen. And when that catch was made, I've never heard so much. That was the loudest silence I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, you and could I, hear an echo in yeah. stadium. the first touchdown pass. I can, I can get past, right? Cause it's right. okay. It's 10 to seven. There's two minutes, 15 seconds left in the game or so. I don't know. I can't remember exactly. You got the Josh Morgan mishap on the onside kick. Right. Which, you know, ball bounces off his chest, goes right back to Boston College. And after that, we go into this prevent defensive mode, a game in which we had just given up our first touchdown, you know, 56 minutes into the game. And now we're in the prevent when they're not even past half field. And with about 12 seconds left after Matt Ryan ran across the field about three and a half times from sideline <laughs> to sideline. That, yeah. that is what just made me ill about the entire thing. Yeah. And just watching it live in the stands there, I just saw that play happen so slowly. And I knew the second he let go of that football, they were going to score oh, yeah. a touchdown. It was clear as day. And then that hug with Jeff Jagodzinski, I'll never forget it. Um, but I feel like karma yeah. has kind of like shifted now. And Jeff sold his soul to the devil because I, I think now he's an offensive line coach or going to be an offensive line coach in the XFL. So, man, he wow. he's a guy who just disappeared. He got fired from Boston College because the face he of the earth. Uh, wanted to interview. He wanted to interview with uh, the Jets, I think. Yeah. Yep. And Lipo told him he'd fire him if he yeah. didn't. And he think. was not lying. And we basically haven't heard of him since. No. Like no, at, but, at least in a high profile level, but you know, no, that, I mean, that he, game he was, was literally right now. His, he's, he's an offensive coordinator at a high school in Tennessee. Yeah. yeah that's fascinating. Insane. Yeah. Insane. 
So karma is a you know is a b word in this case, but you know hey, that was a hell of a hell of a win, uh, a horrible football game to go see, and some really rough weather to stick it out in. Yeah. Well, one thing I will say is, you know, they beat us in '07 and '08 in the regular season. That's right. But we well, got them each year in the ACC the championship. Don't matter. Yep. What's that? <laughs> so we win the ones that don't matter. It's the Boston yeah. College way. Well, that's that's usually the Virginia Tech way. So yeah, no, it, it definitely nice to, is nice to see that kind is. of we can commiserate in that one. How about you, Patrick? Any uh, any games that really stand out? Well, I mean, that's the one. I mean, I only started paying attention to Boston College in 2014 when I was considering going um, my first I went to a bowl game for a friend's birthday and like maybe my sophomore year and it ended up being Boston College and Nevada in like the Emerald Bowl in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and I actually was rooting for Nevada. So I think it was like the height of like the beginning of the pistol and all that stuff. And oh, sure. I was rooting for them or whatever. And they won. And I was like, oh, like, I guess I didn't really know Boston College had a football team. I didn't even know that Boston College was a thing. And then there I was three years later sitting on the heights in my uh, first class. <laughs> there you go. Funny how it, life looks out like that. It is very funny. Um, and I guess to me, I have two memories. One is last year because last year was sort of the win that every Boston college fan was sort of waiting for to validate my four years of suffering um, right. to sort of be like to win something to me the one that I remember the most 49 nothing to zero just yeah. thrashing in 2016 yeah that was, yeah, that was a good one and just being like what you know I there's there's nothing like because like a, as I said like it's an underappreciated rivalry and it, it's not like at its peak right now you know for for people that are close to the programs and remember about 12 years ago, like Boston College, Virginia Tech, it's it's always a fun game on the schedule to to look forward to. So we'll see what happens. I think uh, I think this year's game will be uh, interesting. I I don't really know what to expect yet. I have no I, idea. I feel like the Hokies should win. I just from a offensive talent standpoint and uh, just their defense being maybe a little bit more experienced now than than Boston College is. I think Boston College yep. is in a situation similar to what Virginia Tech was in last year, which is my concern for Boston College. So, I mean, Bill Connolly says it all the time. Youth on defense, and especially in the secondary, is typically Not good. It's typically just the doom of your season. So let's, uh, let's end it with a little rapid fire. Uh, we like to do this with all our guests. So the first question, Patrick, pretty obvious one. Uh, first thought about the name Chowder and Grits for the podcast. Um, I l saw it and I was like, that is a solid name for an ACC-based podcast. Um, there you go. I like it. Uh, nice. So obvious, obvious next question. Best Chowder in Chestnut Hill and or Massachusetts? Ooh, so we got to go with Boston because Chestnut Hill, there's no Chowder that I really remember having. Um, there is a place on the South Shore. That is this little shack. And the only reason it's usually really good is because it's the only restaurant nearby. It's on the beach. And the only time I've been there, it was like 35 degrees and I was freezing. So it was so, so good. Otherwise, you really awesome. can't, go, you can't go wrong with really chowder anywhere in Boston because bad chowder doesn't last. It doesn't exist. It's not a thing. Yeah. And they go out of business in a week. Right. Okay. Uh, good to know. Good to know. Uh, true or false? AJ Dillon leads the ACC in rushing this season. I would say false, but he's second to Etienne because Etienne have so much. My over under for Etienne is like eighteen hundred yards. I think he could easily do that. 
Yeah, he's got the talent. Yeah, There's no question. He's going to have over 2,000 total yards for sure. Oh, yeah. Easy. Uh, agree or disagree, Anthony Brown makes third team all ACC. I'll go with yeah. I'll go yes this year. Okay. This year he makes it. All right. Hot take. Also, the place is called Sullivan's at Castle Island. Um, really classic divey place. Great if you're sort of out at Fort Independence and all that, doing like some history and tra- checking out the beach. Sullivan's at Castle Island. Yeah. I'm going to write that down. Yeah, next time I'm up there, I'll check it out. Over or under, six wins for Boston College this season before the bowl. I would guess my, my guess for the season is six and seven. That doesn't answer yeah. your question. but Yeah, I think. You, it's just uh, even. That's a split. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Adazio will be the coach at Boston College in 2020. He will, but I hope he's not. <laughs> okay. Solid okay. answer. Solid answer. Uh, most difficult place to play in the ACC from your lens. Most difficult to play. I might say... To me, the three that stand out just off the top of my head are VTech, Clemson, and alumni anytime past the end of September. Okay. I think if you, get, if, you get, if you get the cold weather or it comes down to a one score game and alumni, you're in a lot of trouble because you're not making any kicks there. Yeah, no, there's no question. I, I don't think you're too far off on that one. I don't think that's a homer pick at all. There you go. Uh, Tim, any. Any others you want to ring off? Um, you know, none that I can think of. Uh, who, who is the – this is, I guess, for everybody. There's one Boston College player that I think was my favorite Boston College player of all time. Um, and it's weird how he sticks out in my memory. Um, but who's one guy, Justin – and this is you. This is a rapid fire for you. Who's one unheralded non-quarterback player for Boston College over the past 20 years that sticks out in your mind? Mark Herslick. Yeah, man. That's a good one. Hers looks awesome. I was thinking of Matthias Kiwanuka, though. I can't ever forget Ooh, that guy. Yeah, what a beast he was, he was right? Herslick is a good pick. That, that is a very deep-in-the-cut pick for a non-Boston College fan. Well, I mean, he was just such a, a lean was, and like, fast He was a, he was a big deal when we were in college. Yeah. yeah. He was oh a my monster. Gosh. Had a what nice a little NFL career, too, for the Giants. So He yeah. did. Two he super- did. He did. Yeah, he was one of my favorite players, man. Uh, even though he played for Boston College, I, you know, there's something about him and the way he played I really liked. But uh, Herzlick, your, uh, also a great pick. Your boy Luke Keekley as well. Yeah, Keek the know, sneak maybe, man. Maybe the only reason Herzlick I didn't wasn't the right pick because you said unheralded, and I, I'm not well, sure. Well, I, I just meant you know not not like a quarterback. Cause, I mean, right, Matt Ryan's your low hanging fruit there, you know. So right, and then Flutie um, and the rest of them are usually the top. Personally, my right. favorite, like to me the most fun player that I watched was. Tyler Murphy was one of them who was the quarterback when they beat USC, who was just couldn't really throw the ball, was just a fantastic dual threat guy who just ran around. And him and Andre Williams were so much fun to watch together. Oh, man. Yeah, Andre Stud. Some good running backs that have come out of there, man. Awesome. Well, uh, Patrick, thanks for uh, thanks for joining. Uh, just a reminder, you can uh, head over to SB Nation, BC Interruption. Uh, go check that out. Big blog for Boston College. Uh, any other things you want to plug there, Patrick? What's the uh, what's the Twitter handle for BC Interruption? Uh, it's just BC Interruption. Check us out. Uh, you can see all of our writers. We usually retweet them as they uh, cover things. We've got some fun stuff 
coming at you for uh, position previews going into the fall, and uh, we go in with tempered expectations because we're Boston College <laughs> fans. We know how we know how this works. Right. Yeah. At least you have an idea of like your your win range. We kind of know going in is going to be five to seven, and I feel like that's pretty much every year. So. Um, you know, congratulations. I feel like you guys have the Herb Sendak of college football coaches, which I realize that uh, analogy may not make sense to either of you, but it does to me. And that's all that matters. Probably, I, don't I definitely got there, it. There is probably not a man more hated than Steve Adazio right now in like the BC alumni circles because they just, everyone wants him gone. Yeah. And that's that's because you, you know what you're, you're getting. Yes, and that, and that's it. Is it's it's every yeah. fan thinks you're that never going to get better than what you are now. Can return to the 07 and well, Jeff. It sounds like Jack Zinski's out there. Hey, you know, <laughs> Jack, Jack <laughs> is out there. Tom O'Brien's floating on a boat somewhere off the yeah. coast of South Carolina. I guarantee you, he would love to come up to Boston College and stare at your grass before game day. <laughs> the man, the most boring head football coach oh, in the history of head football coaches. All right, Patrick. Well, thanks again. And uh, like I said, go check out BC Interruption. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, so that was Patrick Toppin from BC Interruption. Thanks to Patrick for coming on. Uh, Tim, what were some of your takeaways? Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of mentioned it towards the end. Uh, I threw a little Herb Sindak jab in there. And for anybody who needs clarification on that, Herb Sindak was NC State's basketball coach uh, for a long, long period of time. Uh, you know, in the early 2000s uh, and in the late 90s. And one of the things Herb was known for was being excelling in mediocrity and just being the best at being meh. And I feel like that's what Adazio is. Um, you know, you, you know what you're getting and it's nothing too thrilling. And honestly, it's kind of like a dual-edged sword, right? Like you want to do more, but, but you're also, and this is not meant in a derogatory way or, or a negative way, but Boston College now isn't the Boston College uh, that we saw. So when you're talking about the Tom O'Brien era, uh, uh, sort of there where Tom had them, you know, top 15, top 20. Um, it's interesting to see. I, I don't know. I think Boston College can certainly do better. Um, but, you know, going consistently to bowl games at Boston College is not necessarily the worst place to be either. No, I think uh, it's it's interesting with Adazio because he hasn't recruited well, but it's not an easy place to recruit. They don't have a big uh, football focus, I wouldn't say. So I think for for that, uh, for a smaller school, they do pretty well. They're kind of the Wake Forest of the North is how I like to talk yeah. about Boston College. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's a tough place to, to win consistently. He's won seven games consistently, but, you know, that's never going to, for the most part, unless you play in the ACC Coastal, uh, going to get you a uh, into the ACC championship game. So No doubt. You know, that's, uh, that's something that's got to change. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you want to, it's kind of like Pitt. You could go up there and build a program, a pretty strong one. Uh, it would take some work. It would take uh, some charismatic coaching staff, some strong recruiters. But right. you know, you're you're in a pretty big market. You know, obviously the Northeast isn't a huge football factory, but Boston College has that kind of you know Notre Dame vibe, smaller school, uh, Catholic. You know, sometimes you can uh, you can get surprised by schools like that. That'll that'll come out and 
and uh, and be consistent threats. But you know, one of the things that surprised me a little bit, Tim, was the uh, when we were talking about toughest places to play, and Patrick said Alumni Stadium. And to be honest, I was a little bit caught off guard when he said that. But then I thought about it, um, and we talked about this offline a little bit. And you know what? He's probably right, but not for the reasons of being a intimidating place to play. No. You know, we've seen plenty of Boston College games where, you know, let's say it's the middle of October. It's, uh, you know, a Friday night. It's cold. It's raining. The stands are half full. Yeah. It feels much like kind of a lower level high school type of environment. And good teams can go up there and get caught sleeping a little bit. And I think that's why it can be a pretty difficult place to play. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not it's not your typical college football environment um, a lot of times up there, and that's no disrespect. That's just what I see on – and there are games that, that the BC fans get really up for, you know, and they really make a good showing. Um, but, you know, there are the times when you see teams, you know, not named Notre Dame, USC – that roll into town and it's, it's seemingly the stands are half full. It's extremely cold, right? Cause it's Boston, um, you know, in October, September, uh, November. It, it, and it's, it's kind of hard as a fan to, to kind of bring the same energy when you're in that kind of condition. So it, it's just a different place for a football team to go to. And I think honestly that works into their favor um, because that, that has got to be a weird environment to get energized in. Um, you know, the cold already makes it difficult enough, but when you don't have that, that swell of energy coming from the stands, I imagine that's difficult. Um, so yeah, it, it, tough place to play. And, and, you know, I think Boston college uses it to their advantage. It's, it's, it's a good advantage to have. Yeah. So thanks again to Patrick coming on, uh, once again, SB nation, BC interruption, go check it out. Uh, one thing, Tim, I wanted to hit on before, uh, wrapping up was this uh, truck jump challenge that I'm not sure if it's necessarily trending, uh, but Jaden Payal, a uh, a really promising, uh, I guess we'll classify him as an athlete yeah, because athlete. he's he's a guy who can play multiple positions. I'm not sure he's found a home yet for the Hokies um, exactly, but uh, somebody's name you might be hearing this year, maybe uh, maybe in a couple years. Sure. He uh, he literally just jumped uh, from the ground, flat-footed, uh, over into the bed of a truck. Probably, yeah. I mean, it was it looked like uh, Silverado. I'm not sure if it was a um, a class one or a class two truck, but it was a big one. <laughs> yeah, it, it was big, uh, impressive, you know. But it's weird how your your view on life changes as you age, um, as you have kids. You know, 10 years ago, I would have seen that and then thought, man, that is the coolest. That is awesome. Now I watch it and, like, my heart's in my throat. It's like, I don't want him to get hurt, you know? Yeah. And, and I just don't get hurt. Don't let the well, coaches I, see you doing that. I instantly thought, I was like, I wonder how high I could get. And then I was like, I could probably <laughs> maybe get to the top of the trailer hitch. <laughs> and I'd be pretty shocked about it. Maybe, man. I mean, that... I don't even know if I get to the top of the trailer hitch. But, uh, you know, the thing is, it's a high-risk jump. You clip your foot on that uh, that gate on the back, and good well, night. Here's the thing, because he, he had the two guys on the side of the truck ready to catch him. The problem is, there was nobody to catch him on the inside of the truck, which right. he easily could have gone propelling right. forward that way. Well, and so, even so, if he, he clips his heel. He must have been pretty heel, confident he was going to make it. Right. But he clips his heel, he goes down on that leg, on that, you know 
on that lip there in front of the gate. I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong. You know, God, people are going to love our podcast when they hear us pontificating on all the worries of what can go wrong in the Trump truck. Trump truck jump challenge that's hard to say truck jump challenge truck jump so challenge. uh one other thing that just came to my attention uh quincy patterson just tweeted out um went from 231 pounds 10.1 percent body fat to 245 and 5.6 percent body fat good gracious so quincy the pictures we've been seeing are real the dude is yoked up uh, we'll see what happens in the summer summer practice. I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot of Quincy Patterson on the field, uh, probably just not as the primary starter or the primary guy under center. But uh, either way, I'm excited to see a little bit more Quincy this year. Yeah, no question. I mean, he's uh, he's Tim Tebow-sized. That's certainly impressive. Uh, you know, I, I at least hope we get some packages of, of him carrying the ball and, and throwing the ball. The guy's got a great arm. So we'll see. But, man, that's, that's really impressive work by uh, – by the strength and conditioning staff there at Tech. So that's our show for this week. Uh, we did record this on Thursday night, so still no Tavian Feaster news. Uh, possible that could break at any time, but uh, you know we'll see what happens. We'll talk about it when it does happen. But we are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. Uh, you can find us in a variety of ways. Apple Podcast is probably the number one, but you can head over to uh, basically anywhere you listen to podcasts and you should be able to find us or head over to chowderandgrits.com. Like us on Twitter. Uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, Tim, why don't you tell these uh, fine people what they can do for us? Leave a review. Tell your friends. Share our content on social media platforms. We would really, really, really appreciate it. Uh, the ratings are looking pretty good on the iTunes podcast app, and let's you know, keep that up. Uh, we appreciate all the all the help and support you guys have given us and again I know I say it every week but it has been a really good run of weeks for us recently and we are really seeing that uptick in listening uh, which you know just motivates us even harder to, to get you guys episodes more and more throughout the week so thanks again for uh, dropping by and listening uh, and, and that's it I mean we're going to close this out and we will have another podcast up for you next week see you guys later